Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 12th of June 2016. And the first thing I'd like to mention is that I had to go into Sudbury on Friday and even though this area is notorious for extra heavy spraying, I think it's a, well partly it's a test area I'm sure for new, new uh, sprays from these high flying jets but also this is a where the top of a, a, one of the, the streams, the airstreams, loops right here. And then it goes down back into the States into Buffalo, New York, and so on. So it's, they used to call it Cancer Alley, by the way, uh, when uh, Detroit, Michigan, and so on, had all the, uh, the big industry on the go. It would blow up this way and then loop here and then come down. And up here, uh, they've got all the mines, lots of mines in Sudbury, so they give off uh, uh, the big smokestacks as well. So that stuff all added to it. The mix went down back into the States. And, of course, all that's pretty well gone, except for the mines in Sudbury, and they put higher stacks on. So it's blown right across the sky to to the east and to, to North Bay pretty well, another place. And that's how they deal with uh, that kind of problem. But um, we're getting sprayed now heavily, heavily with sprays. And I remember I read oh, years ago um, the fact that uh, the history of aerial uh, and military testing on populations in different countries, you know, Canada did lead the field. Don Scott was an excellent uh, researcher, and um, he went into the brucellosis triangle, he called it, one of the books he wrote to do with the use of brucellosis as a basis for a particular uh, uh, germ warfare and took parts of that and mixed it with other things and then tested them in Canada and, and stuff was declassified from the government. That's what he managed to get. Never stopped really this kind of stuff. But anyway, this area is famous, as I say, for spraying uh, new types of things before they'll doze the rest of the populations across the world with it. And that's what you have to <laughs> come to your own conclusions by investigating all this stuff. There's a lot of material out there, a lot of declassified stuff, and um, it's up to you if you want to read it or not. The mainstream media is never going to, to touch on it, but um, part of the, the military's own declassified information from, from the U.S., Britain, Canada, and so on, is to do with the testing of weather patterns. In other words, these jet streams, that come in and uh, the use of them for warfare purposes. So that's why I think the, since it loops here and goes back down again, I think they can watch how it spreads down that area and they've got the population down pat in that area and they can keep tabs on their health because all, all the medical records, especially in Canada, are linked together and go straight to Ottawa, their central computer. So they've got real-time information on doctors, visits, visits clinics, uh, walking clinics, all that kind of stuff, and hospitals. So, uh, data's always being collected. But the same thing, too, of Norwich in England, uh, with, the, with the, <laughs> the British Navy being used to test out different gases and bacterium, which they, they, they'd released from ships uh, back in the 60s and 70s, and it went spreading across uh, the mainland, and could follow the patterns of it too. They always tell you it's harmless and yada, yada, yada. And uh, oh, it was just to test out the, a harmless substance to, to see how it would work if, if our enemies would ever release stuff in the country. That's what they tell you, but it's nonsense, of course. 
We're all disposable, really. Even the folk who help do this should understand that they themselves are disposable, maybe even more so if they know too much, anybody involved in it, because they're watched more than anybody else. I was fascinated reading a lot of declassified information from Russia, the Soviet Russia, that is, uh, where they uh, they did tell you how their bureaucracies worked with their their various um, secret polices and agencies and government agencies and so on that spied upon the public. And what I pretty well knew, but it reaffirmed it, was that that's what all countries do. Those in the know who work for governments are watched more closely and monitored more closely than the general population. Massively so, actually. Because, you see, they'd be more um, believable when they come out with something that they know that either they've been involved in or, or the country's been involved in uh, than, than Joe Blow on the road. They can always, they can always um, poo-poo the average person at the bottom, you see, who's not involved uh, in it, you see. Uh, that's why two professors are, are carefully selected, always have been, mind you, maybe more so today, because they help drive by indoctrinating another branch of world managers, really. So they must be heavily, uh, able to heavily indoctrinate them into the century of change. That's what we're in today. So they're carefully chosen. A lot of them do very little at all, actually, but they're there to help pick out new uh, world managers in different departments of agencies and so on uh, for the general population on behalf of the masters who put them in as professors. And that's really how things actually work. And we know that many, many um, people in the U.S. were picked by the CIA at college by professors. Uh, that's what they, they, they actually watch out for possible prospects from people who won't question anything, they'll never disclose anything, and etc., uh, etc. Et same in every other country, it's done the same way. So getting back to the spraying on Friday, it was amazing because um, whenever I stopped anywhere in Sudbury, I noticed even average people stopping to look up because it was just a mess of aircraft all over the place, going in all different directions and uh, leaving these heavy trails behind them. And by the end of the day, you had the usual heavy eggshell colour across the whole sky. By that evening, it was blustery, very, very windy. Same the next day. Uh, with rain, the temperatures are, are falling until today, this is Sunday, it's going to go down to about 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and, which is only about 3 or 4 degrees, I think, uh, centigrade. And uh, it's been like this actually for, for weeks now, <laughs> this temperature at night. And this is summer. This is summer, folks. But this is the age of transition, which is change. I've been prattling about that for well, a long, long, long time. Since through the 20th century, the real world managers were indoctrinating students who would then go into different fields or academia, academia as well, and they would also preach, uh, uh, why we must change everything, the century of change, and that's what they called it, the century of transition as well. Transition is the buzz term. Trans, trans, trans. Everything has, has to change, including your own, especially, especially your ability to be self-aware. Um, uh, and come to your own conclusions. You're being taught by various means that any conclusions you have 
have to be ratified by experts. And if they're not, you could be in trouble. Don't think for yourself. Uh, live in a bit of a fear, actually, if, if, you're, if you feel unsure of yourself with your own thoughts and conclusions you've come to, because you're going to suffer for having the wrong conclusions, you see. Thought crime. And even little quips you might make in conversation or musings, which are just like talking aloud as you, as you go through possibilities of all kinds of things, could be wrong, you see, could be reported. And you're in that phase now with all the laws that has been ran through. Century of change, trans, you see. Everything's trans. Uh, trans-specific partnerships, etc. And you've got transgenders of all kinds now. And, uh, and now you've got folk into even going into various things with animals and all that. It's, it's quite something to see what's under the microscope as you're being taught, like Nick O'Brien said to Winston and George Orwell's 1984. You know, I, you know, I, uh, being part of the elite, if I say I can fly, Winston's, uh, you, you, you believe I can fly. He also said to him under torture, he says, um, he says, uh, uh, how many fingers have I had, on and on and on. And eventually Winston says, okay, even though he saw it was, a, it was maybe four or five up or whatever it was, he'd say five eventually. Because the question was that, that George Orwell said, or the answer that George Orwell kept giving, was that two and two are four, and that was the right to say so. And Brian would hold five up, etc. I say, if I say that's four, then it's four. If I say three, it's actually four, then that'll be. And it was constantly changing, constantly changing. And so if you came to your own conclusions, you'd be tortured. Don't trust your own instincts, rationale, anything else. You must go by the expert. So update your PC training uh, all the time, all the time. If you're unsure of what to say, say nothing. See, I don't know, you see, because it's becoming very dangerous now to come to your own conclusions or have opinions, maybe by your own life's experiences or nasty experiences. It's unsafe now to have opinions, you see. And I only mean that. The idea of everything that's happening on such an incredible scale uh, all over the place, generally brought forward by professors at the top, the experts, again, you see experts, is that, um, I mean, there's one in, in Australia, I've mentioned him before, he's out there, he's on Australian television many times, and panels, discussion panels, a bioethicist, they call him, you know, and a philosopher. I mean, he's pushing for, and that's Mr. Singer, you know, uh, Pete Singer, and uh, He's openly advocated that it's okay for people to have sex with animals and things like that, you see. And he gives absolutely ridiculous reasons for it all. Oh, in the past, you'll see old pottery with, from Greece with um, a, a human-like figure having sex with whatever happened to be another animal. And, but what he's not telling you is that these were, were no supernatural creatures. They weren't men at all having sex. These were emblems of the godhood, you know. Um, having having sex with uh, another symbol of the zodiac, you know, because they had they had stags and that in their, in their zodiac, different animals. So they'll use these things to deceive the average person. That must be normal. If it's always been around these depictions, it must must be quite normal, you see. So, and I said this back in two thousand and one, that they had their big international meeting. Uh, uh, to 
do with the, the censor committees for television, radio, and so on. And they're not there to protect you, never were. They were there to see if it was now time to push the envelope to another step. And they said now they'd won all the different rights for, for certain segments of society, they now pushed for, pushed for the rights of bestiality. And they're actually changing some of the codes now uh, to do with bestiality, uh, to make it uh, lesser of an offence, as long as there's no pen- actual penetration, you see. And they'll use all kinds of ridiculous excuses um, or court cases that are current, or fairly current, to try and push this through, you see. By that technique, they could pick anything and normalize anything by, by redefining. And let's look at this word. Let's look at this word and see what it really, really means, eh? And that's what, how the, the U.S. Constitution gets changed all the time, too. Let's, uh, let's see what, uh, in modern terminology, this word or the, that phrase means. And he, that way you can change it into any meaning that you want. That's not, there's nothing new in this technique, you understand. Nothing new at all. Uh, George Orwell, remember, he knew what was coming. He, he had been a student at one point under... Aldous Huxley, and they exchanged many, many letters on what kind of totalitarian system the masters would bring in, because they knew something that, that they knew all pretty well in Britain anyway, and probably the U.S. too, and the Commonwealth, the British Commonwealth. They knew the leaders, the real leaders of, of uh, who owned these countries, you see. And um, they knew uh, that they had international meetings, even going back into the 1800s, and probably the 1700s as well, they knew what it was, it was supposed to come to, and that the fact that the elite always looked upon, upon the people as being completely malleable, you see, as a big herd of creatures that had no real minds of their own. They just followed the leader, you see. So you supply the leaders, and, they, and away it goes. Now, the reason I mentioned uh, this Julian Peter Singer is he's also classified as a, I guess, self-professed, as a bioethicist, you see, which is like having opinions that are authorized by some big funder behind you. Who knows who it happens to be? There's so many of them out there, but they're all connected at the top, uh, the ones who guide society. They decide about you know, bioethics and um, who should live, who should die, all that kind of stuff too. And, uh, and really alter, eventually, through law, what human life is, and then other kinds of life as well. Sometimes they start with other kinds of life and work up to the human. But they give themselves authority each time they open their mouths, and that, because that's how it's done. And the, the media, again, have, has uh, editors all working for the same big global corporation, Inc., are quite happy to publish it all and give them lots of exposure. All kinds of media, all, in fact, all the media is out there. So that's how they get uh, publicity. And, and eventually, just because you hear them more often, you think they must be, it must be, well, they truly are an expert. I don't hear so many folk uh, preaching the same stuff as this particular guy who sits back all relaxed, you know, like the, the, the typical Hollywood impression of what a professor should look like, you know, the way he looks up and almost wistfully, uh, just casually mutters things about human life and existence. And then they get 
put on board with government panels. So do you vote these guys in? Once again, no. All these different groups you, you have nothing to do with, and, and yet you don't vote them in, and they have power over you and your offspring, if you have any, because their, their viewpoints, as I say, or what they've been told to express, put that way as viewpoints, uh, become law eventually, and will definitely affect those to, still to come. Yeah, that's how you rule the world. <laughs> that's quite easy, actually, isn't it? Uh, and if that's the case, then anyone can become an expert in any new field that they want to create. You, can go into, you used to go to any, any bar in Britain, for instance, and that was at the local meeting place. You'd find people with all kinds of opinions, you see, on any topic, all different ones too, which give you, would give you a fuller comprehension of any particular topic getting all these different viewpoints. But when you standardize viewpoints, then you've just eliminated all other viewpoints. And that's what we're, what we're living under today. You understand that? The elimination of personal viewpoints for the politically correct viewpoint, which is advocated, well-funded by the big NGO corporations above them and the foundations, and your governments, by the way, that use their ta- your tax money to to fund these characters, they end up changing society. And by this technique, they could put, bring anything forward, anything at all, uh, and that'll become the, the lawful thing to do in society, even if it means, which it will eventually, I guarantee it, by your genetic DNA and uh, any inherited problems that you may have, just like uh, the movie Gattaca, they'll simply eliminate you. You see, before you're born, that's that'd be it. Quite simple, isn't it? And that's where they're really heading to. All that kind of thing is is to come for sure. You understand, down through the ages, for those very powerful psychopathic types, who are also intelligent, the ones at the top, not the little streetwise um, psychopath. They're awfully nice to listen to because they, again, they have they they'll cut through the nonsense of propaganda from government and departments. They can see it immediately, and it's kind of shocking to see how fast they can cut through it because they've never had the indoctrinations that you've had, and you've never you've seldom questioned. It's quite fascinating to listen to them. They can be awfully honest, in fact, about things and very precise. But they don't have the the real the, the connections. Actually, they don't have the connections, family connections and uh, class connections to be up there in politics or the military planning wars and things like that at the top. We don't have that. Or running the world's finances, you see. Uh, so they simply see something in a store window. Is there anybody around? Smash it, the stuff, and you grab it and run for it. And they hope they don't get caught, sort of thing. That's the lowest kind of psychopath, the streetwise psychopath. Other ones... Um, are, are better organized, so they go into lower organized crime, things like that. But the ones at the top smell the wind, which way it's blowing, and they'll join every every group, believe you me, and they'll dress any way they're told to dress, or, or they realize that you must dress to get ahead in life for that particular era they're living through. They might even change sides umpteen times as well. It doesn't bother them in the least. Uh, they smell the wind and they jump on board and uh, they'll profit mightily, personally, uh, for themselves on the way, of course. 
Anyway, I'll put up the link to um, bestiality being certain. Well, so far it's a start of it. Bestiality in Canada being made legal, the, and that's what I mentioned after two thousand and one when the big it was actually uh, covered and stuffed away from the news eventually by what happened in September of two thousand and one. But the censorship committees all met the world censorship committees basically for the West and agreed they'd won certain sexual rights for certain groups and now it's time to push for bestiality and here you have it I mean it's it's uh, it's pretty well, like clockwork now and you understand too for changing society you must have full-time panels of people deciding the kind of strategy just like war strategy you see war on society it changes society and uh, it all ties in it takes a lot of money it takes a lot of planning. It takes uh, cooperation with government agencies to find out statistics of things from the internet, the pulse of the public. Are they ready now for the next step, the next step, the next? And that's how things are really done, you see. And we do adapt, don't we? As I say in you know, the Darwinian system, uh, adaptation. You adapt or you die. And literally that will be true because eventually you may be down the road for whatever changes come and everything. Um, you better adapt or they might just bump you off, you see. I think at the moment, I think all governments in the past and the moment um, will bump off troublemakers if they really have the ability to cause uh, any trouble or cause ripple effects by uh, what they say, how they say it, and so on, and maybe their education and whatever they're talking about. So that's the real system you live in. But if you can get society to simply adapt to the changes that you want, until they're constantly, as the United Nations called it, and I've read the articles from the UN over many years, where they would teach society or train them to be self-policing. What they were talking about was the political correctness, until you would you always check before you responded to anything for the politically correct update or authorised update, so that you didn't make a, a boo-boo, as they say. And, uh, and boo-boos now won't be tolerated, you know. If, you have a, if you're still in the old think, you see, you've got to be awfully careful now because there is no free speech. There's not even free thought. That's thought crime, you see. Because often people will speak aloud. You, you muse out loud sometimes. And you see, like, I wonder if... And, and then you prattle on and, you, and you're wondering. You might take whatever you're wondering about and, and, and look at it in ten different ways or more. And one of them could be considered incorrect politically incorrect, and that's you. So, um, there you go. That had to come, and I knew it would come, because they, they, they told us it would come a long time ago, step by step. But anyway, this, this article here, I think it's from um, the Independent, and uh, it says um, that most bestiality is now legal in Canada. I don't know if that's a bit of a, an exaggeration so far, but it's the way it's going to get. It's going to be completely legal, I'm sure, down the road. Because I already talked years ago about, well, it's going to be okay as long as the animal doesn't... How does an animal agree? Huh? How does an animal agree to anything, you know? Um, but anyway, it says, most bestiality is legal, declares the Canada Supreme Court. And that was uh, 9th of June, 2016. And 
sex acts with animals are legal in Canada so long as there's no penetration involved. So there, there you go. There's the, the pushing the envelope according to a surprise ruling issued by the Supreme Court. Determination stemmed from a case involving a British Columbia man convicted of 13 counts of sexually assaulting his stepdaughters, including one count of bestiality. And, but the man was identified as DLW. He was acquitted of the bestiality count with the new ruling. So it's a new ruling, you see. The public's never asked about anything, are they? <laughs> and people really think they live in a free society. If you're a, you, know, you know, if you lived in Switzerland, you get to vote in pretty well everything as a member of the public. Anything that's going to affect you personally or your family or anything else, you get, you get the chance to vote on it. Anyway, it says here, and he goes through the, the different bestiality linked to what the, the different terms used to use and so on, which is still legal terms uh, with animals. Uh, it goes back to 1892. Um, it was first used in 1955, code, legal code, but was still not defined to encompass every sex act with animals. Now, I mentioned over years ago um, about other countries that... People who like to have sex with animals uh, would go to different countries, and the name I named them because it was, in a, it was well well publicised, I guess, by the the companies in, in those countries uh, that would make the money on it. And it was like that was the, the idea of your holiday. You'd, you'd get a place to live, the whole thing, and they had different kennels or whatever whatever you were into, a kind of McDonald's farm type of thing for all kinds of people. And they would, they would get away with it. It was, it was legal in some countries. Well, Canada's joined it. And no doubt it'll be a business shortly if it's not already, just like those countries. Anyway, it says here that um, uh, the court ruled by a 71 majority that bestiality required penetration. And it says there's no hint at any of the... Uh, there's no hint in any parliamentary record that any substantive change to the elements of the offence of bestiality was intended, the ruling reads. Anyway, this character who got charged and who had abused his daughters smeared peanut butter on the, you know what, of the, of the victims, his daughters, and had the family dog uh, remove it, put it that way, while he videotaped the act. I wonder if he was selling these videos to a lot of these, these real um, characters do that. Uh, they sell that stuff. And so I guess there's a lot of strange folk out there. But anyway, it's really upset the animal rights activists naturally because they know it's a step towards where it's going to go. And, um, and that, But again, give the people time until it's normalised and, and folk will adapt, as Darwin said. You'll adapt. Most will adapt mainly through fear uh, because if you're not allowed to have your opinion of your own, which is contrary to, to whatever's been passed, then now, now you're in the wrong, you see. So you, you're forced by fear uh, to self-police, as the UN said, uh, and, and go through a, a, a Winston of George Orwell's 1984. You go through his kind of life, you see, where you keep your mouth shut, don't show any expression on, when you hear anything uh, except the right one, um, never show disapproval, and even by uh, the, the lowering of your brows, if you want to be safe, things like that, you know. Especially where you are. And you wonder why there are also people who don't want children anymore. I heard that years ago from people, even when it was small, because they saw the changes then that have been, that have been planned for society as they kind of 
mentioned them more often in newspapers and things, you could see where it was all intended to go. So for those who think you simply evolve in society, oh, you better think again, because nothing evolves by itself as planned that way in society and social changes as planned, folks. As planned. And I've gone through the histories of the NGOs, non-governmental organizations, that from, from long ago were being funded by the same groups, all traced back to the same big club. All to, I mean, it's a big club. And they're all funded so well by them, until now they're even funded by some of your, a lot of your tax money. And, and they're, they're shaping the way. They're told to, to, to shape. The, I mean, some of the leaders of these NGOs, if they're told to go into a different group, for a different purpose, will suddenly be the strongest voice and advocate of that. And they do sometimes. They change. They can change lines according to their master's needs and wishes. You see? That's how it happens. And the collusion of the media, which is also owned by the same big boys, uh, that's all you get to read and listen to. Or argue about, because they give you the topics to argue about. And you can argue all you want. What has been stopped in your lifetime, what has been stopped? Now, a change of topic to do with, again, the future, which is the present goes into the future, remember, very quickly. And even when you're living one system, they already are introducing the other, you see. That's how, again, you adapt. And we know through all the articles that have been published over the last quite a long time now to do with vehicles and Agenda 21, the Millennium Project for UN, uh, which is now 2030. It's all the same agenda of getting you off the roads and definitely getting you off the roads and on the rural areas until you have to move, you see. If you can't drive to your work, however, or go and get what you need in, in a town or city, you're definitely, um, that's you. You'll, you'll move or die where you are, starve to death. So the, the future's always written in advance in what's called civilized countries. Civilized means conquered, I think. <laughs> I've come to that conclusion. And it's micromanaged. Uh, I don't watch TV, so my brain still works to an extent. But um, this article, again, is in a newspaper. And it says, It's been a long time since Ontario's beleaguered auto industry got some good news, you see. And even the good news has been tempered by the lousy trend uh, lines in an industry with a shrinking footprint in Canada. That's the auto industry. And, uh, but now they're, going to, they're getting big grants, you see, for, from government. Your tax money again. Uh, and again, it's how corporations, big corporations live uh, to, so, to get their driverless electric cars in, you see, to test them out and so on. So it says the news that first uh, trickled out earlier this week was made official. Now, I've been reading about this stuff for, for quite a while now, and even, uh, I think it's uh, Kathleen, was it Wynne, uh, the Premier of Ontario, uh, said quite a while back that uh, they're going to put a lot of money, uh, you know, millions and millions, 20-odd million to start with, uh, and that'd be a pittance, really, uh, compared to what they will put out to get driverless cars, or to get electric cars into, into Ontario and so on. But here's the whole of Canada going to do, of course, naturally. So we pay for it, and there'd be no use, of course, as we well know. And heavy, I mean, six months of the year, you're under snow sometimes, and the cars won't put up with that. Not electric battery cars, no way. 
Emmett says the news that uh, first trickled out earlier this week was made official at the GM's Canadian Technical Centre in Oshawa on Friday, when uh, as in Ontario, when uh, the Premier Justin Trudeau and the Premier Kathleen Wynne drove into the facility in an all-electric Chevy. <laughs> I guess they probably put outside the gate and had them drive in it. I love these photo ops, don't you? I mean, it's hard work, you know, um, getting your photograph taken, and I don't know what you do the rest of the time. But anyway, it says um, the cars they help, uh, the, the, these designers, these, these particular engineers will design, are supposed to be uh, all fantastic, you see, just fantastic. And you know darn well, as I say, it's going to cost a fortune just to charge them overnight. And by the morning in Canada, it'll be flat with a cold. Anyway, it says, um, uh, most of the jobs, uh, again, here's the thing too. I'll give you jobs just for these particular technicians and and designers. Uh, So they're going to spend a lot of money, millions and millions and millions in Ontario and other places too, uh, to, to give lots of jobs to designers for electric and driverless cars. And it says, no, it's not a commitment to build any new cars here. <laughs> well, it's for the world, and so the Canadian taxpayers paying for the... What, what are they saying to us here, eh? It says, I know it doesn't answer important questions about the fate of GM's assembly lines, one of which is scheduled to close next year. I guess that's in Canada. But it's a glimmer of hope for the future, really. Who's future? And here are three big reasons. Friday's new uh, job news is an important announcement. It's the biggest uh, auto jobs deal in a decade. But I mean, what they're, what they're hiring really are simply engineers, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, so, so I guess we're designing for the world, but we're paying for it. Because Canadians are awfully, awfully altruistic, you know. They, they, they don't complain about anything. <laughs> Now, they'll also be allowing driverless cars to be tested in parts of Ontario. Stratford apparently is the first place we test these cars out. So, there you go. The future's always planned, isn't it? And, uh, as I say, it doesn't just evolve by itself. And every change in society, or what society is, is used to, is simply putting more and more control into world planners' hands, you see. It's all about control. Really, you know the cost of charging electric cars, and what have you, what have you got to, to produce electricity? Is your nuclear industry safe? You don't even know what to do with the spent fuel. It's astonishing. Everything is big, 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 massive business that, that rules the world. They've got the biggest voice. All the shareholders who who own, basically, the massive corporations, have the biggest voice in where society is going to go. Not because they're going to give you or bring out the, the, a new type of product to help you. And you're going to find the biggest companies are going to be um, um, run or are run by huge, incredibly powerful and wealthy shareholders. The ones at the top with the, you know, the secret shares I talk about own the big nuclear companies and electric corporations. It's astonishing, really. That's what power is all about, though, shaping the future, giving yourself more control over it, making sure you'll always be prosperous yourself and your family for generations to come.
That's how the, you shape the, the, the world, you see. Now, as we, we dish out the, the millions and millions and millions to bring in a thousand or to pay for a thousand engineers for cars, for the world's cars, of course, but here in Canada we pay for all. The Bank of Canada, you see, is telling the average Canadian who's going to pay for all this stuff, added on to the big tab of things he's already paying for, he and she is already paying for, let me correct here, the Bank of Canada must open people's eyes, you know, the public, to debt sinkhole danger. It's all your fault. It's always your fault. Whatever happens is all your fault. And it says Canada, Canada's economy is at risk of falling into a sinkhole of debt. No, really? But this is this, this uh, particular author, or writer, Don Pittis, explains that there's something that can be done to prevent it. So I'm glad to give you solutions. But it's about, it says here, there's a risk that Canada will fall into an Ottawa sinkhole of debt. And worse, there's a serious danger that Canadians will tumble in without having understood the hazard. But there's something the Bank of Canada could do about it. This is the Bank of Canada's uh, Governor, Stephen Pollos, appeared terrified of disturbing our economic road built on inflated house prices and unsustainable debt. So it's all the public, it's all your fault for taking on massive debt for mortgages and that because because the real estate market's way out of sight, this big bubble, you see. It's your fault, the buyer's fault, not the ones who have manipulated the markets to be out of sight, you see. And the big banks, it's your fault. So... It says Mr. Paul has repeatedly said he is not predicting a real estate downturn, just that the risk, whatever it is, is growing. They've been saying that for years now. This is uh, as the debt goes higher, your personal debt. The question is whether individuals signing on the dotted line for enormous loans actually realise what they're getting into. Now, is he saying here that it's written in such a way as to con the public? Is that what he's saying? This is evidence from uh, Newfoundland and uh, Labrador where house prices have begun to fall just as other costs are rising and job markets weaken, indicates that Canadians really don't understand the dangerous downside of overwhelming debt. I think a lot of them do, actually. Uh, It's just that they don't want to believe that everything could crash as it's crashed before. It's strange, isn't it? I guess that's that optimism part of the brain, or it's an indoctrination that... um, Nothing bad. I mean, I've had people recently tell me if they knew what was going to happen, right down to the bail-ins for for banks. The law being passed back in January, and the papers even. They don't. I had someone say, "I, I, I don't." I, even if you showed me all the proof, I would choose not to believe it. It's too frightening. Anyway, it says here too. Uh, they're feeling that the goalposts have moved, said Robin Whitaker, St. John's, this Newfoundland anthropologist interviewing first-time homebuyers to study the effect of debt on the lives of ordinary people. A Kessler and a Grant again, eh? <laughs> she says anxiety levels are increasing as the provincial government's austerity budget pushes up the annual cost of living by as much as $6,000 per household. Now, I'll say that again, that the, provin- the province, that's like a state in the U.S., the same idea. It's an area, massive area. Uh, but the provincial government's austerity budget, austerity budget, I was talking about austerity for the last few years, and folk didn't want to believe it. You've got an austerity budget. Pushes up the annual cost of living by as much as $6,000 per household, right? According to some estimates. 
See, you're always being tested and examined and yada, yada, yada. To see if you'll accept it all. And when, when's, where's the breaking phase? Oh, better cut back a little bit here because they're, they're, they're having a meltdown. You see, the public are having a meltdown. Ooh. Quite a few people are feeling like they did all the right things you're told to do. Exactly. That's what I've said years ago. You do all the right things you're told to do. <laughs> it says, it says where you're, about making sure you're careful, making sure you can afford it. And all of a sudden, their expenses are rising. You see? No kidding. You mean everything's out of your hands altogether? Of course it is. In such a situation that the loss of a job or forced move, while house prices are well below what the family paid, could be devastating for household finances. Willingness to push the limit on debt isn't just a Newfoundland problem. It's just that they are on the other side of an unexpected financial crisis. That could just as easily happen in parts of the country where people remain exuberant, such as Toronto, Vancouver, etc., etc., and then they go on to talk, too, about uh, the fact that when they're signing all this stuff in, at the banks and with the mortgage companies, uh, are they really sure of what they're signing? Because they can throw in, uh, you can sign in f- without knowing it for credit cards and everything else that you don't even know that you're signing on to. Because that's because the way it's written, you see. And if when you, when you go into a bank for anything, even opening an account, they'll, they'll throw forms that you sign this, sign this, and this, and this, and this. And then you read them and you say, oh no, you know. They're a bit shocked actually if you read anything like that. And because uh, most folk don't. You don't expect this nice person across the table to be part of a con, do you? You expect them, if there's anything hidden in there, then they're going to explain it to you. That's what you expect. But if you read it and you say, hey, this says blah, 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 or they're, they're going to share your information with all kinds of parties, yada, yada. Oh yeah, but they won't do it. You know, that's all, all they'll say. Because, see, they trust just, a lot of them trust just as naively as the general public. It's astonishing. It really is. So why doesn't the government crack down on the, the way things are legally written in an obfuscating manner to completely fool the poor people? <laughs> why don't they do They won't do that. It goes on and on and on. But anyway, the fact is, it's way overpriced. Across the whole of Canada, the housing market's out of sight. And then you have these big alliances of corporations. And even uh, corporations, I mean, I'm talking corporations of, of homeowners, the ones who buy up hundreds, maybe even thousands of homes across a country. And they've got a lot to do too with rising prices and the forcing up of prices and all the rest of it, you see. So you have little say in anything. And then you never, you never own anything anyway, do you? Because if they can get squeeze you out of it. Under Agenda 21, if they want you out of an area, uh, they simply um, bring in the, the, the different eco guys to test your homes for heat loss and this and that the other, and then thousands of dollars per, per day fine until you're out there. You see? You're out. If they come to your house here as well as having a spare set of keys and just hand it to them as soon as they come to the door. That's what it's coming down to. And that's, it will even more so until it's quite normal, you see. Quite normal. Anything can be normalized through fear. Because everybody will adapt with the coercion of the fear factor, you see. Sad but true, isn't it? And the more any right to say anything, and I mean anything, even the craziest people should be allowed to say anything, just say it, for goodness sake, 
then the, the more people have uh, will have less the, the, the chance or even um, the ability to speak out about anything that really really matters, you know. And the big boys at the top know that too. I'm also going to put out tonight uh, a link to or from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine and uh, to do with what they call gene um, gene drives. You remember what a gene drive is? It's releasing genes into the into, into the world, in any part of the world or, or species of the world or whatever uh, that will change organisms that will change things and so on your genes of particular targets and they're having a big, big debate now, or they're putting up funding from somewhere obviously, governments uh, to find ways to for again, experts in different fields to, to work together a panel, if you like uh, on what to do and when it's safe to put this stuff into society, stuff that could literally radically alter life itself. You know, that's that's really where it, come, where it comes all comes down to. You know, you know, they're always talking about interdependence in various ways and fields and so on. Well, we look at what you do if in nature. If you start altering anything in nature, uh, and something feeds on that type of grass or whatever it happens to be. And then you do away with that kind of grass and what happens to that particular insect or animal that fed on that grass or was bred in that grass for the insects or whatever it happens to be, you see. Um, everything affects everything next to it or that feeds on it or lives in it or whatever. Um, but here you have genes now, the geneticists, who could, could, who could cause irreversible effects on ecosystems and maybe on humans too. Well, that will happen as well. We're all... As I say, we're all in it together, aren't we? Hmm? But um, well, I'm sure many experts in these particular fields work for warfare industries. I mean, everything, the big, big money in any field always goes first to warfare industries and warfare research, always. Anything that they find out on the way, these scientists at warfare, is then uh, maybe um, put out to the to lower or different kind of civil corporations to then bring things into society, you know, even down your microwave oven, that's how that came in, and things like that. So um, they're all spin-offs from the warfare industry. And some of these scientists, too, that they'll bring in to, well, would it have any bad effect on society, might also work with uh, in the, the warfare industry, still be working for them, I should say. You don't know. You really don't know. You're only told what you're supposed to know, and that's all, you see. And that's really what we live in, uh, this kind of world where, again, all the, the whole idea is to put everything in society in the hands of experts until the populations themselves have no say in anything. You know, this so-called silent majority. They have no say in anything. And then train that silent majority uh, that's quite right. It's quite normal to have no say in anything. Leave it to the experts. That that was planned long, long ago with the big agencies, and they even boasted about it, how they'd make it happen, and they have made it made it happen, haven't they? they really have. Now uh, another little thing too is to do with who are you? Who are you? Do you have a say in anything, or don't you? And if people really don't know you 
by some means or other, um, you have no say at all. You really haven't. It's easy to squash you, uh, according to the big system that runs the world, you see, and the little subsystems that still work for it underneath it on a higher level than Joe Average or Jane Average. And, uh, you, and they can squash you like a little bug, you see, if they want to. It happens all the time to people. But uh, I know when I was in the hospital that some people obviously knew of me, you see. And uh, at the very end, the specialist, I mentioned it before, cut me off the meds I was supposed to be on and I really needed by saying that the samples of sputum had been given were probably contaminated. How? I don't know. How would they be contaminated? Anyway, that's just a matter. Uh, how could it be? It was, just a, it, was a, it was nonsense, obviously. There were three sets of them, about three, I think it was three or four per day, uh, separate samples. Like all of them getting contaminated with the same thing. Come on. And therefore, I didn't get the medication I should have been on for six weeks. And I went in on Friday and saw the same specialist. And strangely enough, they contacted me. I wonder why. <laughs> and he said that um, he didn't realize it was a third. There was three, three sets all together. He didn't realize it. That's all he said. And that, and that confirmed that there was something you know, that was there. It was genuine. You know. Now, I'm sure that was coincidence, wasn't it? What do you think? I often wonder how many people uh, really go under, go under by misdiagnosis or deliberation and so on. I'm sure it happens all the time. I know it happens all the time. This area is famous, strangely enough, because it was tested by the biowarfare industry over many years, actually. I've mentioned it before, by Espanola, and all the way down to Manitoulin. And by goodness, uh, from Manitoulin Island all the way up to my area, it's just supposedly very susceptible to strange fungi, you see. Why here? Why here? Well, they don't know, they say. Well, could it have anything to do at all with what I just mentioned? about the aerial spraying. Uh, it was done even before the main aerial spraying and the stuff they did initially on Espanola area, down that way, which isn't far from here, it was very low level. Hmm. Makes you wonder, eh? And then a, one guy, in fact, um, in this area, who um, a few years ago, I think, came down with a one of these odd fungi called uh, blastomycosis, which would really keep my lid on in the area, because if folk knew <laughs> it was awfully prevalent here, they would not move up here, and they really need the people around here, because what keeps the place going up here are big mining corporations. They need the labor. Who would move up if they knew these things? So they suppress the information, you see. And that's not unique to here. I mean, folk get moved into places like Pickering in Ontario, and I've talked to this chief engineer at the nuclear plant there, and he said they did a cost analysis of, of the death rate that they expected to happen uh, when they, before they even built the place. They do a survey, and, a, and a, it's not just an ecosystem check. They, do, they, they check how much they expect to lose, 
you know, according to knowledge from previous plants and so on. That's how we are. We're just disposable, really. Anyway, this young guy at 32, 33 was misdiagnosed in Sudbury Hospital, apparently, according to the story. And um, they actually uh, put him down to cancer. And they're going to treat him as per cancer. And one of the doctors in there was adamant that it was his smoking that had caused this. And it wasn't. He never smoked, you see. His daughter was brought in to swear that he didn't smoke. Still wouldn't believe. Which makes me think that some of them might know <laughs> to try and misdiagnose some people. But anyway, on behalf of the corporations, who knows? Who knows? It's just, you know, speculation. Who knows? You look at every angle, every possibility. And um, I went down to a little place called Little Current, where a local doctor properly diagnosed him. But um, he's got massive nerve damage all over the place. So just a warning to people. Stop looking at things as you're trained to see them. Don't stop saying yes to everything or to specialists and experts. Ask pertinent questions. And if you have time to think, whether it's hospitals or go into banks or anything else, write out a list of things you want to know first before you sign anything, say anything, or and make sure that you don't get overrun in a hospital because you won't have much of a chance if you allow it sometimes to say a darn thing. They could be pertinent to you, you see. Um, but we're so well trained. We're trained for the system, aren't we? To suit the professionals in the system. They also don't even ask you about family history on things. It's astonishing. And uh, that's how things are now. That's how. So if you're going to move into an area and you're, you, got, you want to get a family or you have a family already, check in to that area's health. And I'm telling you, they, they do suppress information when it comes to big, big business. But try to find out about certain things. Look at the particular area, if it's still industrial, or it has been industrial, because certain things like radiation will last a long time, believe you me, uh, like, like down at Pickering area, and check for the, the incidences that are reported of fallout from, I mean, like diseases and so on, or cancers that, that come out of it. Uh, you really check into these things, because big business has sway. They own the towns. Often the towns are created around the huge big businesses. And they're not going to tell much. If you, if you realize that there's a good chance your children will come down with some particular disease, or yourself, or the, the person you're, you're married to, uh, you might not want to go there, you see. You take everything into, into consideration. Because uh, they're, they're seldom ever published I know that years ago, Sudbury, for instance, uh, had big debates, big forums, but they did bring some of the public in eventually because the public had organized themselves at last and to do with the cancers that their children were having because of the smokestacks there, dumping all kinds of heavy metals and things through the smoke on the area. There was no vegetation growing in Sudbury at all at that time, literally. And uh, now they simply go over that hurdle by building the higher stacks till the stuff now blows, they claim, to all the way to North Bay. So economics and industry has a massive effect 
on the health. It just happens that way. God knows what China's like now, you know. They're probably, probably as it was in Britain during the late 1800s or 1900s, I'm sure. Anyway, that's the, 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 the rush-through stories, really, because um, it's not that easy to find anything really worth talking about or even interesting to talk about now. Many, much, much stuff is just repetition, repetition. But the main things that are standing out and showing you what they're all about are, again, the committees of experts to guide you, tell you, and order you around and so on, and to, which also train you to start policing yourself and your thoughts or even your musings on certain things. Don't, don't even question things. That's the message, message, message. And you've got to question. It's your human right, for goodness sake. Now, from Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and your God, your gods, go with you.